the spiritual, the physical, the political, how important the spiritual is for us, you and I, to be free. Today, many people are living in spiritual slavery without even realizing it. Uh, they chase false gods, money and success, personal comfort and romantic love only to realize they still have an emptiness on the inside. Uh, and those things of the world can't satisfy us and they can't fill us. But Jesus tells us in a precise detail how to be free. And so if you will, let's look at John chapter 8. Love this uh, chapter. But Jesus uh, said to those Jews, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But listen to these Jews that answered him when they said that. Then they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? You know, it is amazing and how absurd that this statement was by these Jews and how they argued back at him because we are free. Uh, but they ignored Israel's past history and they ignored where they were today because in the past Israel had been in great bondage to uh, several and many nations and at the time that they made this statement they were in bondage or in servitude to Rome. So they said we're, we're, not, we're not in bondage I think of how in, in, in bondage we are today or how we've lost our freedom today. We're, we've lost our freedom through an invisible enemy. You and I can't, America, millions of people are, are in bondage. They're, in, they're not free. They're not free to go to the places they want to go, do what they want to do. And that is a physical bondage. And I hope soon that the quarantine will be lifted and we'll be able to uh, go to uh, our special places, whether it's a sports uh, activity or whether it's a restaurant. But even then, after the physical, physical quarantine is lifted, so many millions of people will be in bondage to an invisible enemy. You say, Pastor, what is that? First of all, many are in bondage to sin. Many are in bondage to Satan. Many are in bondage to the world. And so it's important that we know how to be free from these things that bind us and keep us from really enjoying freedom as we should. The first step to freedom is recognized in areas where we are in prison. In the 33rd verse, it was a vain boast by these Jews. We're not in bondage. And as I'm talking to you and as we preach a sermon and all over America, if we tell people you're in bondage to sin, I'm not in bondage to anybody. I'm free. Uh, Christ is speaking here in this 8th chapter about a, about a spiritual, not physical 
or a political bondage and freedom. The uh, lost sinner is in bondage to lust, in bondage, as I said, to sin, in bondage to Satan and the world. That's the sinner. We're born in sin and we're in that bondage until we do the things that will set us free from that bondage. One of the great needs of human life is to recognize our slavery. We're, we're in bondage. So the first step is to recognize. The second step, Jesus Christ calls us to freedom. A Christian is free from guilt. He is free from the power of sin. The Apostle Paul writing in Romans chapter 6 says, And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I love that verse. We're free from sin, but we are committed to a righteous life through Christ and certainly through the Spirit of God. So the Christian is free from guilt and the power of sin. Second of all, the Christian is free from a conscience that accuses us. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So we've been set free from that guilt, from that sin, from a conscience that will, would accuse us. And then thirdly, we're set free from the wrath of God. In Romans chapter 5 in verse 9, Paul again says, Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Isn't that a consolation? Uh, that produces peace tranquility in our lives to know that we are free from the wrath of God. And here's something that's very important. I think we need to understand not only have we been set free from the wrath that is to come upon us, but we are free from the tyranny of Satan. <clears throat> Listen at the living uh, translation of the apostle Paul's writing to second Tim uh, to Timothy in second Timothy. He says, be Humble when you're trying to teach those who are mixed up concerning the truth. For if you talk meek, meekly and courteously to them, they are more likely with God's help to turn away from their wrong ideas and believe, Paul says, in what is true. Then they will come to their senses and escape from Satan's trap and slavery sin. And that's what the world needs to hear. We need to look beyond the natural and understand that God is saying to us today, you can be free. You don't have to be a slave any longer. He uses to catch them, and this is his word continuing, whenever he likes, Satan does, and then they begin doing the will of God. So we are set free from this and we begin to do the will of God. First step is to recognize. Second step is to understand what God has set us free from. Now, Jesus gives us the steps, or he gives us here in this eighth chapter and in other places, the source of our freedom. 
If you understand that you're in bondage, if you understand that you're a slave to sin, if you understand that you're a slave to habits, you say, I can quit these addictions anytime I want to. Can you? Are you able to do that? Are you being truthful with yourself? Are you being honest with yourself? <clears throat> well, Paul is saying for us to do that and understand that. The solution to the sin problem on God's term, not man's, not something we conjure up ourselves, but we're set free and have liberty on God's term. First of all, in verses 31 and 32, he says you'll know the truth. Now, we're living in a culture today that struggles with truth. What is truth? Someone said uh, the prevailing view in our postmodern society is that truth is relative. That truth, yeah, it changes. That truth, my friend, some believe it goes from person to person. Whatever you believe or whatever I want to believe, that's truth. And you can't tell me what truth is. And from situation to situation. So if I want to lie about something, if I want to believe this particular uh, principle about something, it's up to me. Truth is what I choose for it to be. To be. For many, truth is perspective. Truth is relative. And truth, my friend, for many in our culture today is situational. But truth is more than what truth is for me. Truth is fact. Listen, truth is a person. Truth is Jesus Christ. The only way that we can have a standard of truth is through and by the Bible, God's word, and Jesus Christ. Other than that, we have no truth. I remember a time, old enough to remember the time, when a man's word was his bond. He didn't need to sign a lot of contracts many years ago. If they shook hands and said that they would abide by this particular decision that they had made, then that was their bond and they could trust that person. Could we do that today without contracts? Could we do that today without signatures? I doubt it. Because we need to understand that truth, my friend, is so, so important. Lou Wallace, let me tell you about Lou Wallace. He was searching for the truth. Lou Wallace, he was the governor of New Mexico, was writing a book against Jesus Christ, and the process was converted to Christianity. And in the process, rather, he was converted to Christianity. Now, he gives the detail of what happened. Here is Lou Wallace that said, I had always been an agnostic and denied Christianity. Wallace said Robert C. Ingersoll, a famous agnostic, was one of my most intimate friends. He once said to me, see here, Wallace, you are a learned man and a thinker. Why don't you gather material and write a book to prove the fallacy concerning Jesus Christ? That no such man has ever lived, he went on to say, much less the author of the teaching found in the New Testament. Why don't you write a book about that? 
Such a book would make you famous. It would be a masterpiece and a way of putting an end to the foolishness about the so-called Christ. Now listen to what happened to Lou Wallace. Wallace went home and told his wife about the project, and she was a member of the Methodist Church and did not like the idea. But Wallace began to collect material from libraries all over the world that covered the period in which Jesus Christ should have lived. He did that for several years, and then he began writing. He was four chapters into the book, he says, when it became clear to him that Jesus Christ was just as real a personality as Socrates, as Plato, or Caesar. The conviction began, became a certainty, he said. I knew that Christ Jesus had lived because of the facts in his study and in his search connected with the period which he lived in. So he asked himself candidly, listen to what happened to this man. If he was a real person, Christ, was he not then also the Son of God and the Savior of the world? Gradually, Wallace realized that since Jesus Christ was a real person, he probably was the one he claimed to be. His mind is changing in this search for reality, for truth. He said, I fell on my knees to pray for the first time in my life, and I asked God to reveal himself to me, forgive my sins, and help me to become a follower of Christ. Toward the morning light, he that broke into my soul, I went in, uh, to the bedroom, woke my wife, and told her that I had received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Oh, Lou, she said, I, I have prayed for this ever since you told me your purpose to write this book, that you would find him while you wrote it. The writer of this particular article said Wallace went on to write a famous book. And he said, every time I watch the epic film, Ben-Hur, based on that book, I wondered how it was written by a man who wanted to disprove that Jesus ever existed and instead became convinced that he was the greatest man who ever lived. Most of us have seen the movie Ben-Hur. What a great movie. Charlton Heston. Did you know that movie won 11 Oscars? And this man that said that Jesus did not exist, that set out to disprove it, he found out what truth was. My, my desire this morning is certainly that you, my friend, will find out what real truth is. If you discount the Bible, if you say Jesus was not real, or certainly not the Savior of the world, I challenge you to search it out. I challenge you to study it out and find out, yes, he did live. Yes, he did die. Yes, he did rise again. And yes, he paid the penalty for my and certainly your sins. So the source of freedom, number one, is truth. Second of all, the Son of God. Jesus said in verse 34 and through 36, he says this. He says, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not admit, abide in the house, listen, forever, 
but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you are free indeed. So first of all, the way that you and I can be free, the way that you and I can be outfall under the bondage of sin is through truth. And Jesus is the truth. Certainly, second of all, through Jesus Christ. Millions are living an empty, fruitless, and self-defeating lifestyle because they have not come to understand the freedom that is theirs in Jesus Christ. I, again, I want to challenge you. I want to, I want to encourage you to search it out, to find out if this Christ, if this Jesus is really real. You'll find out that he is, and if you'll accept him and you have an acquaintance and a relationship with him, you'll have a freedom like you've never, ever had before. And then the truth, the Son of God, and thirdly, the Holy Spirit. Paul says to the church at Corinthians, or at Corinth rather, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is truth. You see, when you accept the truth that Jesus is the Son of God, the Spirit, of, and you ask him to come into your heart, repent of your sins, then Jesus Christ comes in through him by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. When Jesus expounded in the synagogue of Nazareth, this was after he came out of the temptation, he goes to the church, and here he chose a passage of which two-fifths related to liberty. Here's one of the most precious text that you'll ever read. Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He quotes it from Isaiah. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim certainly the acceptable year of the Lord. Liberty. Freedom. Don't you want to be free? Well, wouldn't it be nice if they lifted this quarantine and we all could go where we want? Well, wouldn't it be nice if you allowed Jesus Christ to come in and set things right in your heart, set things right in your life, in your family, in your home, on your job, wherever. But most of all, he sets us Free. And the important thing, and I'll end with this, God gives us freedom to choose our path. You see, God created human beings, not robots. So he, he allows us either to accept him or to reject him. God gives each person the free will to accept or reject his salvation. And you find that throughout the scripture, throughout the scripture. Let me end with a well-known story from the Bible. Uh, it's about the prodigal. Most of us know of the story of the prodigal, how that the dad had two sons, and one of the sons came to the dad, the younger one. He wanted to be free. He wanted his liberty, and he thought, if I can just get my inheritance now and Go out into the world, I can be free. I don't have to be under the, the bondage of, of dad or, or work or all of these things. So he goes and he does that. The dad gives him his inheritance. He thinks 
His, he is going to be free. Listen to what someone wrote about this young man, and I think it is so true. The prodigal's freedom. Most people define freedom as being able to do whatever you feel like doing, and that's what he wanted to do. This is what I feel like doing. That is exactly the way the prodigal defined freedom. He thought that getting an early inheritance, leaving home, and going off and indulging in an instant gratification was freedom. Listen, but he soon found that it was but another form of slavery. Everybody serves somebody, but you can be free to serve Jesus Christ. And that truly, my friend, is freedom. There's a little word in, in St. John chapter 8. It's, it's if. He says in this reading where I read to you, if you abide in my word, that means we read it, we study it, and then we live it. Second of, the second if, if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. God wants you to be free. He'll set you free if you allow him. Just to touch your life. You say, preacher, you mean that Jesus Christ will change me? That will, he will make me new? He'll give me a peace? Maybe I'm speaking to someone this morning. You really need peace in God. You need to know that hope that comes through and by knowing Jesus Christ. I want to pray. I'm going to end in prayer would you believe the Lord and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful this morning for the truth of your word. Uh, hope, we understand, begins with us recognizing our problem. If I'm speaking to someone that Satan has blinded them, that they don't see where that sin does have them bound, open their eyes. Lord, it's a song that was sung years ago, there are none so blind as he who will not see. I pray that you would open eyes to each and every one that is seeking you, that is looking to you. And I pray, God, that you would set them free. May they experience freedom and liberty like never before. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you.
Chains are gone.